So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags to riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. I've got a great show for you. I have my friend, my buddy, uh, Mauricio Raul, and he's my PPM lawyer. He's the one that does all my syndications for all my deals, and um, he's got like total crazy knowledge about what's going on. And uh, so, Mauricio, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, Corey. Appreciate it. Hey, so give me, just for my audience, like, I want. I know. I know. I didn't give you a great introduction, so I want <laughs> you to like just have everybody tell you who who you are and like your accolades. Because I mean, you've been yeah. doing it for a while. Yeah, I have been doing it a while. So I, I am an attorney. So hopefully that doesn't uh, put any of your uh, listeners off. Even though people do call me the anti-lawyer because I'm a little bit uh, a little bit different than most lawyers. But yeah, I've been a California licensed uh, attorney now for man, it's going on 18 years. And what I do is I specialize in securities law. So I, I own a, fr a firm. I founded and uh, own a firm called Premier Law Group. Um, and what we do is we help uh, entrepreneurs like yourself basically raise capital so they can go on and do bigger and better deals. Uh, I've been doing this now for, you know, this thing specifically probably over 15 years, helped raise over, I think I'm up to close to $150 million and just been really laser focused on, on, this particular area of the law, which is a very specialized because it is securities laws and that can get a little bit daunting, a little boring, but uh, I've been doing that for a while. You know, from a, from an educational standpoint, I went to, to UC Berkeley. So a shout out to all of your uh, Cal bears out there in your audience. Uh, went to law school at Loyola and then did, you know, I did what most lawyers dream about, which is I went to work for a law firm down in Long Beach, California, did a lot of securities laws, and a lot of litigation. So I actually started my career doing lawsuits, right? So when somebody got sued and they needed an attorney to represent them in court, that's what I did. They'd call me and I would do the whole litigation process, you know, motions, depositions, trials, all that fun stuff. And that's kind of how this started. I then set up my own law firm and, and I've been doing this uh, ever since. It's been great. Dude, that is amazing. Like, you know, I always say, you know, in this business, multifamily investing, it takes a tribe and a team, right? And so one of the big pieces of what you do for me is in that syndication space because, um, you know, I coach syndication. I teach it, you know, people, hey, if you can go out there and find other people with money and get them to invest in your deals, you can do a lot bigger deals. And honestly, you can make money faster, but it is a two-edged sword, right? So like, if you're not careful, I mean, you got to know what you're doing because you are taking other people's money. And um, I feel like you have a fiduciary responsibility to that money as well. But let's talk about, um, we said the word syndication. Some of my listeners probably don't even know what syndication means. So yeah. if you can, let's start with that. And then let's kind of go on to maybe some little bit higher level stuff. So uh, what to look out for. 
Yeah. And, it, you know, a lot of people think syndication is, hey, yeah, there's a syndicated radio program or a syndicated TV show. That's not what this is. I mean, syndication is really quite simple. It's just the pooling of resources. Usually it's money, but it's just the pooling of resources in order to make an investment as a team or as a group. And so let me just give you a really simple, you know, basic example that I think will hit the point. Let's say you want to buy a property that's uh, worth $100,000. You can get four of your buddies, right? 25 grand each. And you can then split the profits five ways. So your buddies put in the money, you put in all the work, the effort, finding the deal, your expertise, all that stuff, and you split things five ways. That's a syndication. It can be as simple as that. Of course, those go up to super complex transactions. But from a conceptual standpoint, it's just pooling the resources. And I think what a lot of people forget when they start or when they're thinking about starting is that it's not all about money. Money is obviously an important resource, but you know you can have you know your time is a very very valuable resource, your credit, your relationships, your desire. I mean some people some people have a lot of money. They couldn't be bothered to go try and figure out how to learn about real estate or or spend I know you and I, Corey, we spent a lot of weekends, you know, attending seminars and getting better and learning, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And like yeah. some people couldn't be bothered. They just want to write a check and give it to someone. And so you can you can step in and provide those other resources that doesn't necessarily have to be money and and, and win as a team because then you you can do bigger and better scale your business a lot a lot quicker because you got the leverage yeah man and that and that when you just hit it right on the nail head because like a lot of my investors are busy professionals right or or they're just retired like they're done working like they don't want to work all they want is someone but they want to trust someone that um they understand the process with and then you know you they give you their money and really you're you're providing other things and the other part of that ppm like what ppm does I like it because it's kind of like my marching orders. And I feel like um, now, so I come from the fix and flip world, right? And I think there's probably a lot of guys out there that are not doing it correctly, right? They're pulling assets together. And um, I do want to, can you touch base on like, maybe like what you shouldn't do? Like what makes a security of it? You know, is it just one person? Is it two people? Right, right. So great question. So um, anytime you are taking money, from other people and you're managing that with an expectation of a return, that's a security. So if your investors are passive, they're writing you a check, I don't care if it's one person or if it's a thousand people, that is gonna be considered a security. And where people get hung up a lot is the structure. Hey, if I don't, if I don't set up an LLC, because everybody, you know, instinctively thinks about a security, think of stocks, bonds, mutual funds, you know, they, right. they get that. And so they say, hey, well, what if I don't do an LLC or a corporation or an L whatever, and I just do a, you know, a profit sharing agreement? Or what if I just, hey, why don't we all have direct title and do a TIC agreement? And they get all excited. But you've got to remember the structure itself doesn't matter. What it matters is, are you basically managing other people's money? And if so, you are issuing a security, you're selling the security to someone, and therefore you must comply with all the securities laws. Yeah, that's a, that's a real reality. And the thing is, is you definitely want to understand this part of the business. And you don't necessarily have to understand it. You just got to be able to hire great people like you that do, right? And that's the story of my life. I'm, hey, I barely met out of high school. So for me, um, to find smart people like Mauricio, like that's what I do best because I already know that I'm not the most talented and neither, neither do I want to be the most talented, right? I just want to do what I do well and stay in my lane. Right. And, 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 and Corey, not interrupt, but like that, that's kind of what I try. You know, I, I do, a, I do a, a lot of speaking gigs and so I, I teach this stuff from stage. And what I always try and uh, impress upon the audience is what, when I'm up there teaching, I'm really just trying to get them the context so they can kind of understand where the legal part fits into the overall syndication process. 
Uh, it's not going to be up to them to know every single legal law, every single exemption, which we'll talk about in a second, all the nitty gritty. You just need to know kind of an idea of where it fits into the overall puzzle and then hire a, you know, an expert that's, that, that obviously deals with, uh, with securities laws and can help you in that area. I feel like that's what we always do. So it's every deal we have. Every deal is different, right? And so it's like, okay, Corey, as, and, and I feel like here's what I go. I go, Mauricio, here's kind of what I want to do. I want to do this this and this. I only want to pay him this much. And I'm going to do this on this, this. And how do I make, can you make all that? Is that right? Make it work <laughs> and structure it in a way that it makes sense. Yeah. And then that's what you do. And so like, it's such a great process when it's done right, because I, you know, and then I can sleep at night knowing that, gosh, I've got the right documents, the right things prepared to do, you know, to go raise money. Yeah. I mean, one of the fun things about syndications, I always tell people, is that you can really structure it or you can really do it any way you want, so long as you're always disclosing. It's all the name of the game here is disclosure. You want to make sure that your investors have all of the information available so that they can make an intelligent uh, decision as to whether it's a, it's a good investment for them. And so as long as we're disclosing it, um, we can really do it any way we like. A lot of other attorneys have the sort of this reputation of trying to kill deals and just trying to say, oh, no, you can't do that. You can't do this. I always try and flip that and ask the question of, you know, we always say, if you want better answers, you could ask better questions. And so it's like, how can we do that? If, if this is what Corey wants to do, how do we make this happen? How do we structure this so that we can, we can pull off not only what Corey wants, but also is in compliance with the securities laws? Dude, that is like, I'm telling you, that is so right spot on because in business life, I mean, there's so many people that, oh, you can't do it that way. But you said it the right way. When you ask the question, how can I get this result? And then all of a sudden, they're like, well, I guess if you were to do this, this, and this, and this, it could happen. You're like, oh, well, let's just do, the, do that then. And so many, I think, I'm not going to say in general, all lawyers, but a lot of times they get stuck in their little box of like, this is what I do. And, but really the law's huge yeah right i mean unfortunately most most and again it's not all lawyers but most lawyers like to talk uh and in a business like this i think it's better to to listen right so you want to hear what the client's wanting to do and i would just tell clients to tell me what you want to do don't worry about the legal part what is it you want to do and hey sometimes hey if something you can't do i'm going to tell you like if yeah. there's just something flat out you can't do for example a good one that a lot of people want is referral fees you, you can't pay a referral fee if somebody it's very enticing for for somebody to come to you and say hey, Corey, i got i got somebody that can put in you know a couple hundred grand into your deal but hey i want to i want a little commission or a little a payday or something and that you just can't do i mean unless they're licensed in an sec broker dealer and so I, I just you know things like that i'll tell you but in general when it's talking about structure and how do i do this and how do i do that and i want to we can figure out, we'll figure a way to do it. All right. I, I don't want it to be missed what he just said, because I see this, what you just said, happen a lot. Right. And in other words, he, you know, this happens. People even come to me all the time. Hey, listen, I know X, Y, and Z, and I think I can bring half a million dollars to the table. Or I, can, I got a million dollars. Can you give me a little something on the side? And it's the answer is no. Now, you can get creative and say, okay, well, how do I put you in my LLC and give you an active role in sure. what we're doing? Then it's okay. Cause now they're going to become a partner, part of the group, right? Sure. But sure. just to give someone a commission for like, Hey, you come in here and, but you know, you gotta be actively in the deal. 
Right. And I, I mean, that's, the, 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 yeah, right. you want to flip that again and say, well, how do, how do I give you a commission? Well, the, the, the easy answer to that is, well, you go get yourself an SEC broker dealer license, which, which as you may or may not know, is, is, is a very time consuming expense. That's not a realistic thing. But yeah, bring them on as a co-sponsor to your deal. And, and now it's, you know, you and that person doing the deal. And, right. and along with it, all those fiduciary responsibilities come, of course. But yeah, so there's, we, we always try and figure a way. So this will probably lead up to our next piece, which is how to stay out of hot water. Is that kind of, you sent me the title. Of course, I didn't write it down. So um, I, I think, uh, I think the way I like to put it is just practicing safe syndication. Yes. <laughs> so safe uh, syndication, baby. Yeah. We want to make sure we're, we're practicing safe syndication. So that's kind of the next step. And really, you know, I'll, I'll try and, you know, I don't want to bore you guys with too much with the details, but essentially, as we mentioned before, when you're doing something like this, you're most likely uh, dealing with the security. And anytime you deal with security, there's really only three things you need to worry about. Number one, you either need to register that syndication or that security with the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is a federal government agency. Yep. Or number two, you've got to find an exemption to registration. Or number three, it's illegal. Those are really the three things, you know, coming from a context standpoint. And so, number one, you almost never want to register your syndication, uh, primarily because, number one, it's going to take you over a year, a year and a half, maybe two years to get that through the governmental process. So, how many of you guys have, you know, a year or two to close on a property once it's a contract, right? Nine Not going to happen. Days. Yeah. Right, that right. And happen, then, right? And as you can imagine, when you're dealing with the federal government, everything's super easy and streamlined and everything goes perfectly, you know, in, in three days, which of oh, course yeah, never happens. So, yeah. So it's all, it's going to cost you six or seven figures. So registering the SC with the SEC is like the last thing we want to do. And um, that would be like for when, just to put it in context, that's usually like a new IPO or something like that. That's what those people are doing. That's exactly right. Um, an IPO is, a, is one of the ways you can do it, or even just kind of a private, you know, like there's a reggae a that private, you can do. Yeah, a reggae, right? And, yeah. and you register it. And that, and that opens up the world for you a little bit. So you, there's a little bit more leniency in what you can and cannot do. And it may, maybe opens up the world, but there, there's plenty of exemptions that we have, which we'll talk about in a sec, that, that really make it a and lot easier to. Which to, is the way I like to operate. I like to yeah. underwrite uh, under the exemptions. And, you know, we've I've talked with, you know, doing a fund, right? But Honestly, I don't even like the process of doing fund because I think it screws up my, let's put it this way. When you have a bunch of money that comes into a fund, you've got to go place it. And whether, and I think that leads to people making some bad deal choices, right? Sure. I always say like, you know, get people to raise their hands and say, hey, when I have a deal, I'll let you know. But when um, it comes down to if you're, what I see is some of this is what Wall Street, I think, makes the biggest mistakes because they, they're stupid investors. Sometimes they go and they get all this money and they go, oh, I got all this money. So they're like, let's go make stupid deals because yeah, they put to. the money to work somehow. They've got to have a yield on that money. It can't be sitting around in the bank account. They've got to put it to work. And, and that's what causes a lot of things to, to get out of control sometimes. Yeah. And, and, and if you take my philosophy, we only do fat deals. If you do fat deals and they get skinny, you're OK. Everybody breathes. Nothing. But if you take a skinny or marginal deal and it gets skinnier, like that's going to create a lot of stress in your life and it's going to lose, you know, make sure you losing your hair, right? So. <laughs> or get gray like me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so that's so, number so, one, right? It was the register, one, full registration. And let me skip to three just because, I mean, we want to assume you don't want to do an illegal offering, right? And, and uh, you know, we're not, when I say illegal, we're not talking. No one you know, looks good in stripes, right? No. Nobody wants to do the Bernie Madoff thing, but you know the, the Bernie Madoff thing was you know intentional fraud, right? Something right. really 
swindle someone. You can actually do an illegal offering by doing some really um, things that you wouldn't think are illegal. So for example, you know, failure to disclose something. Hey, I didn't think that that was important. I didn't tell that to investors. That could be a violation of the securities laws. Um, so we obviously want to make sure that you're not doing anything illegal, which is why you want to hire a professional. And so that leads us with number two, which is finding the right exemption uh, for your deal. And fortunately, there's, a, there's several options for us, but there, there's one particular exemption, which is really two, but there's one particular exemption that 95% of the syndicators out there use. And, and when I go through it, you'll, you'll realize why. But this is a regulation D, or what's called the Reg D exemption, yeah. which is really where I focus. You know, that's really what I do day in and day out. And the, the nice thing about these Reg Ds is that they allow you to raise an unlimited amount of money. So even the Goldman Sachs in the world and the JP Morgans, when they raise you know a billion dollars or two billion dollars, a lot of times they do it under this Reg D exemption because why not? It's a private exemption; they don't have to register it, and there's an unlimited amount of money that you could raise. Um, so raise, yeah, makes sense to you. And so you know, I'll go through them real quick again. I don't want to bore the details, but just so you kind of have it in your mind, there's really two exemptions, and I'll start with the old one, which is the one we used to have, and this was it. This was really the only one that everybody relied on. 506. It used to be just called 506. Now it's called 506B. But yeah, unlimited amount of money that you can raise. You can take accredited investors, and I'll talk about that in a second, but also a limited amount of non-accredited investors, which is 35. And an accredited investor is essentially anyone who has either a net worth of over a million dollars, excluding their home residence, or they've earned a couple hundred, two hundred thousand dollars a year for the last two years with a reasonable expectation of earning that this year. If you fit those parameters, you're an accredited investor. You can take an unlimited amount of accredited, but if somebody's non-accredited, then you're limited to 35. But the big prohibition on that exemption is you cannot advertise, right? It's a private exemption. Right. You can't market, you can't do Facebook ads, you can't do radio ads, you can't do podcasts, you can't do whatever. And so that was kind of a limitation that a lot of people, at some point, you know, you're raising capital, you run out of your sphere of influence, you've got your people, you know, your friends, your family, your foes, and, and you run out of that. And so the only way to do it in the, in the past is now maybe we have to look at registering, doing a sort of a public offering. Fortunately, I always say a few years ago, it's almost, it's been over four now, it was September of 2013. Uh, they lifted that prohibition against advertising. And, and let's talk about how long that prohibition has been in effect since like 1933, right? Yeah, this all comes from the 1933 Act. So the, yeah. it's always been a prohibition against uh, you know marketing your 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 securities unless you go the the, the, the registered. Uh, so act back in so let's think about so back in the oh this is called like the whisper speakeasy, right? Back in the day before this new law came into effect. It was really how big is your networks, right? And, of course, the brokerage houses and the people that have huge companies and huge networks, they really win in that situation. Now, the small operator like me, you've got to really work hard to go find and meet people and like that know you like you trust you, right? Right. I still teach that concept, but this is something I'm working on personally is the next phase, which is just marketing. And let's talk about that because, like, yeah, that's like flash 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 that was you know i told people hey now the world is your oyster because now when they lifted that prohibition you were free to i kind of joke you know you want to put it take an ad out for the super bowl you know knock yourself out you want to do a podcast a radio show uh, put together a seminar and invite people over and pitch them your deal from day one you can do basically any advertising you can think of the only downside or the only limitations is probably the better word the only limitations are number one you can only accept accredited investors only 
right? So yep. they're just paying. Uh-huh. For better or for worse, the government thinks accredited investors are smarter than non-accredited, which you and I, Corey, know that's absolutely not the case. But until they change that definition, it is what it is. The government simply assumes if you have a bunch of money, you know they're what smart. you're doing. Yeah, you're smart. And if you are non-accredited and only, you know, make 150 grand and only have $800,000 in net worth, you're an idiot and you need to be protected. But um, anyway, we'll get off on that. But uh, so that you can only accept accredited investors and you must take reasonable steps to verify that they are accredited, which is an additional layer of really compliance because in the old rule, which oh, I say old, but we still use it today, you could rely on their representation. We would do a questionnaire, check the box. I'm accredited, and as long as I knew that you, you know, that you weren't lying, I can I can rely on that on that representation. But uh, with with the reasonable steps to verify, can't do that. We've got to take additional right. steps. Usually requires tax forms. You know, W two. If you're you know if you're a high paying professional, give me your W two. Or if you're relying on net worth, let me look at you know your asset base, your properties, valuations, all that stuff. You really got to have documentation that shows, hey, here's where my net worth really is, or like a CPA sends you a certified, here's what's going on, right? That's here's correct. So there's there's a there's a safe harbor provision in there which says, hey, if you do these things, you're guaranteed to have taken reasonable steps to verify. And one of them is if you can get a letter from your CPA, who obviously is intimately familiar with your finances, to to to, to sign off on it. That's good. Same with an attorney or even a broker. If they just say, hey, I've looked at this guy's financials and I'm telling you he's accredited, then you can rely on that. I see a lot of people going that route right there uh, in, in this industry. A lot of people will use a third party broker dealer um, and to, to use the verifying process. Is that what you see, too? Is that kind of yeah, so, all over well, the board? I- yeah, well, most what I recommend, just because especially if you're dealing with investors that you've never met before, it's a little bit daunting and uncomfortable asking them for their financials. And you know, nobody wants to give you their, you know, not nobody, but a lot of people are, are turned off by that. So there are plenty of third party verification companies that through a very reasonable fee will do the, the dirty work for you uh, and do the verification. They'll ask for the documentation. They'll get it all. They won't share that with you, which is what right. which is investors Weird. and they'll. Yeah. They'll yeah. just provide a letter to you and saying, Corey, I've looked at your 30 investors and we've vetted them all. And I'm telling you, they're all accredited and you can rely on that. And sometimes, honestly, that might not be a bad idea because like if you guys know me and my philosophy is less equals more. So the less I have to work and do like stupid crap, do I look like a person that pushes paper? Right. I'm not like, and I don't ever think I ever will be. So um, no, and it's. And it's just puts that it's, lane. it's it's I call it a compliance nightmare. Just again, dealing with people's financial, you just don't want to do it. And it's and again, the cost to do it is so I don't want to say it's insignificant, but it's sometimes marginal. it's low seventy five, a hundred dollars per investor, which yes. obviously taken into the whole budget from your your spending. So it's just for a couple grand to just to, to get that off your plate. To me, is a no brainer. It is an absolute no brainer, right? So it's funny because like that you just talked about like in your deal structures, right? So like. I want to, I know we're finishing up our three points, but I got to make, I want to make this funner, I guess, because we're talking <laughs> about compliance. <laughs> make the compliance world more entertaining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, here's what's cool about the whole syndication process in my mind. So like when I buy apartment, Mauricio, we fund, we usually raise money to like pay ourselves an acquisition fee. So we get money for that. We get money to pay off all our costs. So like, your cost, my attorney bill from you, I put that in my PPM, right? I put in all the costs associated with buying the property. Anything that has to do with the association of buying this property, as long as I fully disclose 
what my sources and uses for the, the money is, it's pretty much like whatever you put in there and, and disclose, you can do. Yep. It, it all comes out of the offering. So you raise the money and that's where the, that's where the payment for the, the attorney fees, the third party verification, your acquisition fees, any other fees that I've got to put down there. Uh, that's where it comes from. And even though I upfront the money, I usually upfront the money. Um, but you can also like, so if you didn't have the money to do that, right? So here's like, when I talk about putting pieces together and structuring a deal, let's say you don't have the money, but you have all the other skills to do it, right? To run a, an apartment deal. Well, you go find somebody that has the money and you bring them into your partnership, right? And you say, okay, now we are going to go do a deal, and uh, but you're going to supply all the upfront money and then we'll pay you back at the end. And that's how you structure these yeah. deals, it, man. It, you, you don't even need to really make them a partner. I mean, you, you, I use the term lead investor because you could literally grab an investor who puts in the first 50 grand or 25 grand, give them a sweetener, right? Because it is a side letter. Yep. I do it all the time. The riskier deal for them because, you know, if this thing doesn't work out, then, you know, you've spent the money and they're out. So you've got to give them a little bit of a sweetener. It's going to be a little bit different from everybody else. But as long as it's disclosed, it's all good. Uh, and that's how you can fund that initial, you know, because you need to earn this money deposit. And, and when, when you're doing big yes, deals, third parties, like, yeah. Like you, Corey, and by the way, I forgot to congratulate you on your latest uh, $12.7 million acquisition uh, last Boom. week. So uh, as you can imagine, an, uh, an earnest money deposit on a $12.7 million deal is not chump change. So um, that's, hey, that's me, where you- Let me do yeah. the math real quick. I'm just going <laughs> to, I shouldn't disclose, disclose this, but I'm going to, because it's, I'm pretty <laughs> proud of it. Times 3%. So $383,000. Right. So even somebody who's, who's an experienced syndicator, that's not just chump change to, that no. they have around. So do that three and, times a year and see what happens. Right. So either bringing a partner, like you said, or bringing a lead investor, which could even be structured differently. You can, you know, maybe it's just a promissory note with that person. Hey, it's a short-term loan. I need it for six months. I'll pay you 20% or whatever you want to pay them. And then once you fund the deal, then you can pay off the loan and yeah. So, it's we do, so I do this. I do that a lot sometimes too, because like when you start locking up a bunch of properties, right, you can get into three, four hundred, five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars of earnest money just sitting around because you got to have it to lock up deals. And so that is the way you do it. And, um, you know, not every deal is a deal, but usually when you get to purchase and sales contract, you've done enough due diligence that the deal probably is not going to fall out. It's a matter of getting all the the pieces to go right, but but the due diligence costs money, right? You may have to do some survey yeah. reports. So this everything costs money, and so if you don't have it, you just got again. You've got to ask. If you want better answers, you've got to ask better questions. You know, how do I get this money? How, how can do, I? How yeah. can I? You know, I just did a uh, video blog just like yesterday, talking about. Or well, I've not posted it yet, so it's not out there, but it will be. <laughs> By the time this thing's playing, it'll be out there. Of uh, it was there's a Harvard Business Review of IQ. And then there's called EQ, and then there's CQ. So IQ, we all know what IQ is, right? And that's either born with it, you have it, or you don't. Like, I didn't get that gene, okay? <laughs> but that's okay. But I'm going to tell you why. Is So then there's EQ, which is your emotional emotional quotient. And this is your ability to handle stress and, like, um, complex things, right? So that's one factor. Then the other factor is your CQ, or your curiosity quotient. And that is actually a very, it can help, it doesn't help your IQ, but it, it recalls memory. So when you're curious and you have to figure things out, what it does for you is it, it makes you learn the process. 
And so right. then you can recall your everything that you learned. And so, hey, I'm, I've never been smart. I didn't, I didn't have a big IQ, but I've been a curious son of a bitch all my life. And um, there I, you go. I think you undercut yourself a little bit, Corey. I think you're a very smart person. So. <laughs> hey, I just like to play to, yeah, devil's you advocate. Where, you don't get to where you get to be without being a smart guy. So, hey, so I got I'll, I'll say one more thing and then I'm going to let you talk some more. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's a favorite movie. Now, I'm a movie guy. Like, me and my kids, my family, we love to watch movies. And so there's this movie called Devil's Advocate. Do you remember watching sure. that movie? Oh, absolutely. With Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino. And, Al Pacino, and, right? uh, and Charlene uh, Theron. Yes, yeah. So there's a scene in there, and it's my favorite scene because I think it relates to me. So Al Pacino's playing the devil, right? And he owns this law firm. He actually owns everything, like the whole street and and. But he's dressed in like plain clothes, and he goes, and him and uh, Keanu Reeves or Kevin, they're on the subway. They're going to some meeting, and they're going on the subway. And Al Pacino looks at uh, Keanu Reeves. He goes, Kevin, you know, the problem with you is everybody sees you coming, right? Because he's like this you know, lawyer, all dressed up to the nines, and he, you know, he looks the part. And here Al Pacino is saying, let's go ride the subway, and I own the whole thing. And so in my mind, that's truly what I have, um, like my goal personally is like, hey, listen, I don't need to be a showboat. I don't need to say, here's my Lambo, here's my whatever, right? I'm just going to be the guy next door that says, you say, hey, let's go to Hawaii. I'm like, great, let's go. I, I just booked it. Yep. And, and, and like, what? And, yeah, let's just go. So we'll have a good time. And, and I like that too. Like a lot of, you know, I, and I used to do that quite a bit, you know, especially when I was in the law firm. I mean, I love when people, you know, underestimate you, right? So you can kind of sneak in there. They're not as prepared. They're not as up for it. And, you, and in the meantime, you've been behind the scenes, just, you know, pounding and pounding. Doing and what you're supposed to. Yes. And then it's when it's time to perform, you blow your competition away because they were sleeping at the wheel because they didn't think you had it. They had, had no it. idea who was driving the bus. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That is very awesome. So, okay, so with those three things, right? So we know that you can do a full registration. We don't want to do that. You have uh, your all your Reg D filings, which we do want to do that. Is there anything else? You said we said five hundred six. Well, yeah. So we talked about the five hundred. So five hundred. That's basically that's that's probably good enough in terms of you know getting an idea what the exemptions are. And so then from that point on it becomes a, a game of disclosure, right? And that's what, you know, you referenced a few times a PPM and that stands for a private placement memorandum. Yeah, see, I do this all the time. I say things and I'm like, <laughs> what the hell is he talking about? So a PPM or a private placement memorandum essentially is a disclosure document, which basically tells you every single possible way you could lose your money. Yes. Uh, it's not a fun document to either write or read because uh, it's a, sometimes a little bit scary. But I basically, I always analogize it to when you go to the doctor and you're, you know, for example, a couple of years ago, I had, um, I had some oral surgery on my teeth. And so they give you this medical consent form, right? Like all the ways that this oh, yeah. little procedure can go wrong, including death. But I could die from getting this tooth out or whatever. And it's just a requirement. It's just, it's kind of a CYA. And that's what a PPM does. And what people sometimes, or a lot of times, fail to realize is that I always tell people, you've got to do such a great job with your business plan and your marketing first with your investor that you can overcome the PPM. Because again, yes. the PPM is just, here's how you can lose all your money. So you've just got to make sure you do not just barely get them over the hump. You've got to really convince them that this is the we best. Can, we already, we talk about it. Like, hey, we're going to be sending you this document, right? It's going to read very dry. It's going to scare <laughs> the crap out of you. <laughs> right. That's right. And it's just, you know, and, it, and it's, and it's for really, 
but I got to give it to you. It's meant, it's really meant for primarily a protection for the investors. I mean, that's why it's there. Like, again, you want to make sure your investor has all the information, all the material facts so they can make an intelligent decision as to whether this is a good investment for them. But it also protects the, the syndicator, in this case, you, Corey, because it's very difficult in one of our deals for somebody to come back later and say, hey, you never told me this. Because sometimes deals you know, don't go as planned. You know, right. Market turns, you know, and we had a we had a recession, you know, the, that great recession. No fault of anyone's, you know. Capital markets dry up, and say, "Hey, you never told me this, or you never." And I'm like, "Here it is, you know, on page so and so." And you know, so it just makes it really hard for somebody to argue that you didn't give them all the facts when you've given them this this lengthy. You talk. have to, and really, that is the whole. I think this is why, and I I want to tell you, I think more people give me their money because we have a PPM. Believe it or not, I mean. If I didn't have that document, you know, if if I was doing things wrong or shady or like that doesn't ever work. It may right. work for a small amount of time, right. but if you want to go out and become a big deal and, and get people to really get momentum with you, having all the structure, all the documents and having that big disclosure at the end of the day, they're really thankful that you did, did it correctly. Because so many people um, may may not, right? And so by le- leveling up and make sure you put yourself to a very high standard, yeah. all ethical, all on, on board, all the full disclosure, right? It's yeah. like, here's yeah. what's going on. And, and it's, it's you know, it, it's actually a required. Uh, so if you're, if you're dealing with, if, you're, if you have non-accredited investors in your deal, then mm. that PPM is mandatory. First of all, it's bigger. Yeah. Like, there's pages. 506C, 506B. <laughs> so they they are required the same level of disclosures that you would do when you register a security has to be done in this document. Now, if you have only accredited, again, the government assumes that there are a bunch of smart people, so they don't require as much protection. And so you can right. you can get away with essentially giving them you can choose what disclosures to give them. They just need to be complete. So if you give them one disclosure, it just needs to be a complete disclosure, which is where people get caught, caught up. But um, it's not something we do to, you know, out of the goodness of our hearts, so to speak. It really is a legal requirement to do a full-blown private placement right. memorandum and non-accredited investors. Yeah. And, you know, it, it is like, so that's daunting work and it's never something. Let's talk about this because people ask, I know in my industry, how you use the same uh, PPM for every deal? No, that's probably no, because, because each deal, each deal is different. Even if it's the exact same market, I mean, each building is different. I mean, I do it just like you do an underwriting before you put it in an offer. I do an underwriting of the deal just from a legal standpoint, making sure I understand every single detail of the, of the, of the project so that I can figure out what disclosures do I need to make. And so, as you know, Corey, we go back and forth and I have a hundred questions for you. And yep. you know, sometimes you have the answers and sometimes it's like, well, that's, that's a risk. Yeah. Now we put the risk in there. Um, but, but the lack of a PPM, you know, I put together a, sort of a, a checklist, kind of a, a due diligence checklist uh, that I'm happy to share with your audience at some point. But uh, one of the things that I see as the biggest red flag um, when I'm reviewing, sometimes I review these for clients, is, is the lack of a PPM. They say, well, it's a small deal or, oh, it's only friends and family. And so they don't provide us with, with a PPM. And that to me is a red flag because not only is it an illegal offering, but again, it's just somebody who's cutting corners and not doing it right. So if they're cutting corners, corners there, where else are they credit cutting corners? And so yeah. that's just yeah. What else is you got to worry about, right? Yeah. So that's one of the one of probably the number one thing I see is is the, is, is the lack of a PPM. Uh, and again, one of the things your audience should remember, or which I also remind everybody on stage from the beginning, is when you do an illegal offering, when you fail to comply, hey, I don't want to do a PPM, I don't want to spend the money on it. 
If that deal goes south, you are essentially guaranteeing that investment because if it goes south and you haven't complied with the laws, then the remedy is restitution, right? So, hey, I gave you a hundred grand, the deal fell apart and you didn't do everything and I complained, I'm going to get, well, assuming you have it, I'm going to get that money back. So you're essentially guaranteeing the investment if you're doing an illegal offering. Personal guarantees and everything. Right. Personal guarantees. So. So to the audience. So hopefully, uh, I mean, like this is good stuff. Like you got to pay attention to the whole process of syndication. And I think after listening to Mauricio, I think you're going to understand that you should never do this thing alone. So Mauricio, how do, um, how does everybody get a hold of you? Yeah, best way is probably to email me, and especially if you want to copy that five, the, the, the sort of the due diligence checklist, uh, email me at CS, which stands for client services, CS at premierlawgroup.net. Again, CS at premierlawgroup.net. You can get a hold of me, uh, and then I'll, I'll send you a copy of that report if you're interested. And happy yeah, to help. I'll put it in the show notes for you, for everybody, yeah. and, and I'll put the link to your, which you just gave us for the address right there. So that is, that is perfect. Right. Mauricio, brother. Hey, man, it's always a pleasure doing business with you, talking with you. Uh, you just recently moved back to Phoenix. Yeah. And um, so that's cool because uh, and now you're not down so far away. Yeah. yeah, we're down the street. Yeah, we just had lunch not too long ago. So, uh, yep. yeah, looking forward to, to hanging out some more, too. Cool deal. Yeah, let's go do it. And, um, again, if you're doing syndications, right, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do a shameless plug because I believe this, like, in my heart. If you don't hire Mauricio to do it, you're stupid. Okay, I'm just telling you, right? Now you can go use somebody else, but I'm I'm just telling you, like if you want to have someone to help you down the path, and he doesn't charge a boatload. Now he still charges money because that's what he's got to do, (laughs) but it's not astronomical. Okay, then you should absolutely go click on the link and and have a discussion with him because he is that good. Okay, and he protects you from going to the popo. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> no one looks good in stripes and you should never get even get yourself in that situation listen remember everybody out there your paradise is possible this business of multifamily investing is so fun it only takes one deal one stupid stinking deal to have legacy wealth for a lifetime how do i know this i just closed one 12.7 or i just bought a new one i closed my deal for 8.8 I bought a new one for 12.7. That deal will pay me, I think, $300,000 for the rest of my life. Listen, you got to do this, right? Before uh, you guys leave, do two things if you've not done them yet. One, you got to go to Kahuna Wealth Builders and download my Quick Start Workshop, okay? This is a must because, man, in that whole sequence, I like share two like major things. One is how to raise private money. You will want to know how I talk with investors, how you can do it. I started from nothing. I had no money, no credit, right? So like, it's like, no, 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 no problem. I will teach you how to do it, okay? Um, The last thing is, if you've not done it already, and this is something I really, really appreciate, is when you go to iTunes and you leave a wonderful five-star review. So do that now. Thanks a lot. And remember, guys, your paradise is possible.